Welcome in brand new Friday scramble June 24th, 2022. I'm Rick Gamer. that right there. Andy Lacken. Andy. Oh, it feels good to be back. It's been a while. Yeah. How, how was, uh, well, obviously we can get into a little bit of the U S open, but how, how's the travel been? I know you've been a super busy guy lately. Yeah. All over the place. Uh, it's been, it was good, but obviously, you know, a couple of red eyes coast to coast kind of took its toll on me the last couple of days, but now getting, getting back into, uh, very much my routine and, and, and glad I did it. Obviously. Uh, when did you, when did you get back? You're back in Vegas now. Yeah. So we got back, uh, Wednesday morning. So we went Wednesday okay. to Wednesday. So we stayed, so Wednesday night overnight, and then we got back Wednesday morning. So on Monday and Tuesday, we just like did Boston as opposed to being there for like work related stuff. How was that? Was this your first, uh, you're from Philly. So I assume yes. that you've been to Boston a fair amount, but how was right. it as a, as a tourist, I guess. Yeah. This time? I, I haven't been there in yeah, at least a decade. Uh, Armina went to optometry school there. So she was the tour guide. So she was right. walking us around and to go to all these spots. It was, it was good, man. Yeah. I've got, I've got no complaints. The roads don't make any sense, but like once you're <laughs> walking around and enjoying it, like, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did it. As a big New York sports fan, um, Obviously, I root against Boston teams, but I don't think I can argue with the fact that it is a great city. And I'm kind of bummed, to be honest with you, Rick, that I don't know when the next time we're going to see the country club is. Like, I'm looking at, they got this U.S. Open schedule pretty much all the way up to 2050, and it's Which a lot insane. of Pinehurst. Yeah, yeah, completely insane. And it's a lot of Pinehurst and stuff. And so the idea that we will never get to see Will Zalatoris or Matt Fitzpatrick play this course again has me feeling a little bummed. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the country club because I don't think it's like a necessarily a traditional USGA spot. So we're going we're going to do that. We got a lot to catch up on. I will remind everyone that uh, we are indeed presented by Price Picks. So we're going to look at the board here in just a few minutes because um, they're obviously out on the golf course already. The Travelers Championship and some of these props tee off in 35 minutes, 45 minutes. And there's some ones that are later in the day. So we're going to look at those in just a second. If you want to make sure you're ready, use the code Rick. There's a link in the description. That'll get you all set up with your deposit bonus and all that fun stuff. Um, Andy, let's talk Travelers real quick. The mm -hmm. course is playing – well, hold on. I'll save that. Let's just talk about the top of the leaderboard. Patrick Cantlay in at nine under par. Very good for you and your one-and-done selection for this week. Rory McIlroy has not teed off yet. Rory McIlroy is having like a very, very, very good season, and it is not really being covered because he hasn't won a major and because Scotty's doing Scotty things. Right. So, I mean, I think the – um the Rory hype heading into St. Andrews has got to be at a fever pitch, right? Like I would imagine that I'm already starting to, to see the uh, Rory St. Andrews tweet. So let me ask you the biggest question. I think that's probably on everyone's mind. Like, do you, do you feel that Rory McIlroy can win majors or do you think that you're just going to, you're, you're just going to miss it, right? You're not going to bet a guy at 11 to one or 10 to one that hasn't oh. won a major in eight years. So I probably, I probably will not be betting it, right? But I'm not okay. going to bet a lot of guys at 10 or 11 to one. However, the idea, and um, I forget who I had this conversation with Kyle, maybe at one point where it was like, 
can he win? It's like, yeah, obviously, yes, of course he can win. He's doing everything right. Like the fact that he hasn't won a major in eight years is a lot of uh, bad luck. There's a lot of variance. A lot of it was he just played one bad round. Like, of course, Rory McIlroy can win major championships. He's he's the guy. He's playing. This might be one of the better versions of Rory that we've seen in the last couple of years. And I know we only grade him on major wins, but I think that's a true statement. Yeah. I mean, do you, would you put him as the favorite right now or would you put a Scheffler or a, I guess, Rom ahead of him? It's so weird. Um, Scheffler, by all accounts, should be the favorite of it in every tournament that he plays. I agree. Completely agree. Do I think that bookmakers <laughs> will follow that lead? Not necessarily. I think you're going to see also places agree. that have Rory as the favorite or maybe their co favorites, but. Scotty Scheffler should be the favorite in every tournament he plays until I say otherwise <laughs> or until yeah. proven otherwise. Yeah. Until he proves otherwise. Right. Yeah. I, I was, I, I just tweeted out this morning. Like he's the guy that I think everybody thought Rom was going to be this year. Completely unsinkable, just comically high for he doesn't it, even when he doesn't have his best stuff. He always finds a way to be relevant in tournaments, right? Like right now he's kind of hanging around the top 25 of the leaderboard and it doesn't even really feel like he's having one of his best weeks. Um, I continue to be impressed by Scheffler. I, I, mm -hmm. I rue the day when hopefully people will stop calling it a heater because we're talking about um, a very sustained, you know, six to eight month period now of, Really, really, really high-level golf. And there's a lot of evidence that outside of Tiger Woods, uh, and maybe even Roy McIlroy to an extent, all, the, the vast majority of golfers' victories come within like an 18-month period, right? Like these guys get to their peak, and they can generally stay there for like 18 months. We saw Jason Day do it. We saw Brooks Kepka do it. Uh, Scotty Scheffler very much kind of in that window right now. Right, and he is, he is two strokes away, Rick from a season that would be six wins and two majors, two strokes right. away, lost by one at the U S open lost in a playoff at colonial. I am not comparing him to tiger woods. Um, I don't think that's fair for either party, but that is a tiger in his prime season, you know, six to nine wins, one to two, three majors. Right. So, I mean, it is, it has been a historically great season. The thing that's interesting to me about this Rick, and maybe you could shed some light on it too, but he goes under owned in DraftKings every single week. Like, I don't know if it's the eye test with him, the wonky footwork, the weird um, finishes, but it, it still seems like he doesn't pass the eye test for people or maybe kind of the general public as it concerns to DraftKings still hasn't really caught it up with him yet. If, Everyone just looked at the newspaper, the box scores, right? They'd be like, this guy named S. Scheffler has four wins. He's been dominant. He's, as you mentioned, Andy, two strokes away from a six-win, two-major championship season, with, which, oh, with, oh, by the way, a major championship still to be played, right? Like, right. we still have one of those coming up. But people watch it, and they listen to the pressers. And he's not – he's no nothing like the – number one players that we've had recently. He's, he's not tiger. He's not Brooks. He's not, um, you know, Rory. He's not this, he's not John Rom. He's not this stone cold killer 
that wants to step on your throat. He's he doesn't come off that way. His game his game does, but that's not the way he comes off. So he never gets the respect of wow, this guy is clearly the best player in the world. Yeah, he's really unassuming. He has like a really big aw shucks vibe, right? Yep. Like he gets asked in a press conference earlier this week about some of the live stuff, and he goes, I can't believe I get paid this much to hit a little white golf ball mm-hmm. around. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he wins the masters and, and he's like, yeah, you know, I don't think much is going to change in my life. I'm probably going to go home and watch the office with my wife after this. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he doesn't, you're right. He doesn't fit the bill as the, um, he doesn't necessarily have like the swagger, I guess would maybe be the right word. The, the, um, the way that he plays golf doesn't, he doesn't walk with the same confidence that maybe a Rory or, or, or a, um, a tiger obviously, or a Rom does, but I mean, the results absolutely speak for himself. And I think that he will, you know, it's a great leaderboard right now, but I, I don't know what's he at the kind of 25 to one 30 to one right now. I think it's a good, I, I think it's a good bet for where he's at. I don't yeah, think he's right. going anywhere. As we speak right now, he's five under par. He's playing his last hole of the day. He is available at 25 to one. Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. And Cantlay dropped a shot coming down the stretch. So the lead's at 10 nine. or nine, right? Currently yeah. nine. Yeah, that could change pretty quickly here, depending on what Seamus Power does. Nick Hardy's back in the mix. Love that Nick Hardy guy. So we'll see. Um, we'll see how that goes. Andy, uh, quick one and done update just for housekeeping. So you had Xander Shoffley at the US Open. I had Shane Lowry. You got 241,000. I got zero. Uh, that is tough. I'm about to catch another zero with Joaquin Neiman, and you are about to probably catch $1.2 million from Patrick Cantlay. So I I think I told you this two weeks ago going into the US Open. It, it felt like I missed my spot, right? Like I felt like my momentum had been halted. And I didn't have a lot of firepower left. And it felt like a turning point two weeks ago when I think you had Finau. And I can't remember who I had, but it just, it, it felt like a turning point. And uh, at least through two weeks, I'm being proven correct that I have, I'm out of this now. <laughs> you basically need the PGA tour to implement its new purses now. Like right. you need that, you need that to start immediately. Um I would, you know, I think there are a couple, we're doing it through the FedEx cup playoff events. Those, you know, the BMW FedEx St. Jude's like you need probably to win the open, right? Like that is probably need like two. I probably need like two winners come in like the next like nine events. Right. Which isn't, which isn't impossible, but I mean, do you, how do you have some, some horses in the back? Do you have some, some, some guys left or, or have you been pretty, uh, have you been frugal or have you been using all the top dogs? I'd have to go look. Uh, I'm not all that confident that I've got a lot of ammo left. Yeah. Nick says in the chat, you know, the only equitable thing for us to do here is just to in- start picking one and done for yeah. live as well. Yeah. Armina, Armina and I are going to have a, a two to one vote on, uh, adding live to the, to the one and done, <laughs> uh, uh, effective, effective immediately. And I'll start, I'll start using those guys to get myself back into it. Um, okay. Let's, let's do the props here because we've got some of these that are starting shortly. And then I want to circle back cause we have a lot to catch up on. So, uh, we will hit the props on the other side. 
Andy Lack is not only the co-host of The Scramble, but also produces his own show, The Inside Golf Podcast. It's available twice a week, focusing on course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategies for every PGA Tour event. Admittedly, I was drawn to Andy for his data-driven approach, which you'll find on his Sunday shows as he breaks down the field. But I'm even more impressed by his passion for course architecture, which offers a different perspective of our great game. Mix those together with insightful and humorous guests who don't take themselves too seriously, and you've got a recipe for a great podcast. Follow Inside Golf Pod on Twitter and download Inside Golf wherever you download podcasts. Okay, Andy, time to prop it like it's hot here. These are the props available over at Prize Picks. You can use the code RICK, get yourself a 100, uh, 100% instant deposit match up to $100. You can use the link in the description. They've got the birdie or better matchups, which, Andy, uh, somebody emailed me or DM me, I can't remember. And they had tracked, they've been tracking these over the, I think last week and maybe the week before, where the headliners have continued to be the play, right? So I think. I think Thursday at the U.S. Open, it was like pretty even. Saturday, the headliners dominated. Uh, and then I think they won both Saturday and Sunday. So over the course of that last four slates, it was a pretty significant edge towards the guys that are essentially featured in these matchups that are all set to 0.0. Right. And as long as they continue to give us one objectively better player versus a worse player, I'm going to keep generally choosing the better player. I mean, the one that probably sticks out to me the most here of these four, well, I guess there's two, but Mito over Smotherman. Mito looked like he was completely dead yesterday. And then I think he he finished with a couple birdies in his last two in his last three or four holes to kind of put him in a position where he, you know, he could still make the cut today. So I'd probably ride that momentum with Mito um, over Smotherman, who I like Smotherman. Smotherman's a good young player, but I just think Mito's an objectively better player right now, and he's got some momentum heading into his Friday round. Same with Finau and Howell, right? Like, that one seems crazy to me. I mean, Howell is a fine player again, but he's also not a prolific birdie maker, right? You know, like, he he's kind of a plotter type that makes a lot of pars. So, right. um, probably the Finau and Mito ones are the two ones that really jump out to me. Yeah, I think that feels right. The uh, Austin Smotherman, who I'm a big fan of, I, I'm not sure we've seen what his ceiling is yet, right? Like, he has a lot of these, like, 25th to 45th place finishes, and he seems to be much more consistent and solid as opposed to, like, I'm going to snap off and make eight birdies in a round or something like that. So I, I think we're still trying to learn what his floor and what his ceiling is. Um, Tommy Fleetwood. So uh, I like Tommy kind of here on the strokes, Andy. So here's so yesterday, the course played nearly dead on to, to par. Uh, and the morning wave was a third of a stroke under par, and the afternoon was a little bit more difficult than that. Right now, it is much, much easier. Uh, it's playing like a stroke and a quarter nearly under par and they've adjusted a little bit, but I still thought, you know, Tommy Fleetwood under 65 and a half is essentially asking Tommy Fleetwood to gain a stroke on the field. Right. Uh, or not, no, not even just to beat the field average is essentially what it's going to ask. Um, you know, Webb Simpson, that's like gaining a stroke or a stroke and a quarter on the field. I don't think those are fairly significant ask, even though some of these lines have been adjusted in, a, in the proper direction. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the it's going to be interesting to see this afternoon, Rick, because the course played over par on Thursday afternoon. Like it does seem to firm up a little bit as the day goes on. But looking at the weather forecast, like yesterday, um, there was a little more wind in the afternoon, which I think made scoring conditions a little bit more challenging. Um, I, I'm not seeing that wind. So I do think that it's going to play easier this afternoon, um, than it will be yesterday afternoon. So yeah, I would agree. I think there's a little more leniency I see on, on some of those unders for some of those guys to go low. I don't have the full data to back this up yet, but I'm in the midst of a spe- for specifically for Friday rounds, uh, looking at guys that start outside the cut line, Andy, and seeing if they tend to make more birdies or better than their baseline with the idea is they know they have to play themselves into the cut. There's yeah. a little bit of evidence there. I'm not ready to like call it and be like, Hey, this is a significant edge or anything like that. But I think, there are certainly positional situations for guys on these leaderboards. Like Rory doesn't have Rory is not necessarily super incentivized to go out and make five birdies or better other than the fact that he wants to shoot, shoot the lowest round. But if you have someone like Tom Hoagie who literally his week will end today, if he doesn't go out and shoot something pretty deep under par. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I like that idea a lot. Um, who are the guys that are kind of hover? What is it right now, by the way, it's like, we're probably looking at minus two. We're trending I would towards, think we're trending towards minus two. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, some of these guys that are over par, they really have to make something happen today. I think Hoagie got in the clubhouse at like plus three. Um, yeah, I like that because I think your strategy changes, right, Rick? Like I think if you right. know that you need to shoot a 64 or a 65 you're going to be firing at every pin. And so for better or worse, like you're probably going to give yourself more birdie chances. So yeah, a hoagie, a Mito again. The thing about TPC River Highlands too with these birdie matchups is there's a lot of variance on this course, right? Rick is something I've noticed. Like you can pretty much go out, you can pretty much make birdie on almost every hole on this course. You can also make bogey on almost every hole on this course, but there are a lot of birdies out there. So yeah, I think those matchups and the overs on some of the birdies, just kind of thinking that it's not going to play as tough this afternoon as it did Thursday is probably where I would be going. And I just like it when my, athlete has the same incentives or goals that I do. So trying to find things that align a little bit better. It's obviously not a perfect alignment, but like align a little bit better is always valuable. They did drop the uh, whole 13 props. So whole 13 is playing 0.11 under par at the moment right now. So all the, all the whole 13 props are set for four and a half. There basically have been two Eagles made 27 birdies. So 41% of the guys that have gone through Hole number 13 right now have gone under, um, which makes me think that I would I would be favoring, uh, well, I was going to say the overs, but not against Rory and Xander, maybe against Finau and, and Varner. But I don't I don't necessarily love this as a prop. Yeah, um, this par five has been this is the tougher one, right? I'm trying to no. Yeah. I mean, it's playing right now 13. It is, is the tougher one. Six six is like t- twice as easy. Right, right. 
Yeah, I, I guess I'm with you. I'd probably go the over, the over. Although you know, it's a little bit more scary when you're talking about yeah, I know. a Rory yeah. or a Xander who tend to dominate par fives and have all the distance in the world. Finau too, as well. But yeah, they're just. I, I don't love that one just because yeah, they're right. not really giving me the players that I want. Right. Um, okay. Fair enough. The coach you're looking for there is Rick. There is a link in the description. Go over and get yourself some action at Prize Picks. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got a lot to catch up on, and we are going to do that right after these words. If you're not playing daily fantasy on prize picks, then you're not really playing daily fantasy. They offer nothing but props and they do it better than anyone else. You pick two to five players on an over under and can win up to 10 times on any entry. They allow mixed sport entries, meaning you can take the over on LeBron James and the under on John Rahm. The golf specific props are amazing. Birdies or better, fairways hit, greens in regulation, round score, and now, yes, single hole props that's right what score will a golfer make on a specific hole i have prize pick specific tools on my website to help you build the best entries and now prize picks is offering a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 just use the code rick at sign up or click the link in the description that's code rick good luck all right, Andy, let's have a little fun here. Let's get uh, caught up on all the things that we need to get caught up on. We have not had an opportunity to digest the U.S. Open and the country club and Matt Fitzpatrick and everything that we saw over the course of the week. Let's start with the golf course, because this is what I'm most excited to chat with you about, because this is kind of shorter than your general U.S. Open setup. You mentioned it earlier really no plans to go back to the country club in like the near future. Uh, I, I thought it was a great host. What did you think of it? I loved it. I mean, and I'm curious to get your take on it from the grounds because I, from what I've heard, it's, it's kind of a little tricky to get to. Right. But like, how did you, how as a viewing experience was, was, was it the type of golf course where you were able to, it was easy to navigate kind of as a viewer. Not really, which is a little bit unfair. So they limited, I believe it was 26,000 is what they limited tickets to each day. And I know they sold out like immediately. Um, it's not particularly easy to get to, right? As you can imagine from a, a, a course that's over 100 years old and it's in Brookline and all this stuff. So there was like a lot of shuttling that had to be done and a lot of walking that had to be done. And then because it is such an old course, Andy, like there's no, there's no cart paths out there. It, it there it's 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 you walk it that's what you do and a lot of the tee boxes and greens are right next to each other so when you have to cross over a hole you might have to wait for that group to finish that group to finish that group to tee off and that group to tee off before they let you walk across so you could get stuck at a crossing for like 20 minutes as all so, so it's like not like an easy navigation situation yeah and because of the infrastructure uh there were less fans, right? Like they couldn't even, yeah. this wasn't a venue where you could have a ton of fans because there just wasn't a whole lot of space. It's kind of a, it's kind of a claustrophobic property. Right. But I, to be honest with you, I thought that it was an awesome, awesome U S open venue. I mean, the architecture is one thing. I think it provided a lot of different interesting holes and um, I, you know, I think what's interesting with the USGA rec is something that it seems like they're trying to do recently. You know, they have new leadership over there with Mike Wan and 
and Bodenheimer. And it seems like they're not willing, they're going to err on the side of safety, right? They're not willing to put themselves in a position where we get a Shinnecock 2018 or 2004 before where I think they're very afraid of the players complaining. So I think they feel very comfortable with that minus six target score. The last three U.S. Opens have been won at minus six. And I think I'm okay with, I think there, I think, I, I think there should be one tournament a year where the players do get a little uncomfortable and the players are complaining a little bit and that should be the U S open. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, I thought it was a very, very fair test that gave us the most deserving champion. Yeah. And I'm cool with six under par as well, considering there were nine golfers under par, right? Like, right. Don't, don't get me wrong. This was a very difficult test. The rough was thick and random and those little tiny greens. Like I, I got there on Thursday morning and I think I walked on, like I came through the gate that was right by, it was like 16 or 17 green. And I, the first green that I saw, I just like, I just laughed out loud. Like it was so small. I'm like, how are these guys even going to have a chance? And it's so well defended. I was like giddy the second I saw the, my first green of being there. So you know, we talk all week in, you know, the pre-tournament content about how the greens are like the smallest ever. Does it feel that way too when you get there? Like from all the golf that you play in Vegas, did these greens to you look that much smaller than what, what you're used to playing on? Yes. Yes. And it, it is like, it's also kind of like, um, it's visual, right? Where, you know, just off the rough could be like, fescue or this thick rough so it almost makes them look even more dangerous but when you have three players and three caddies standing on this green it like the green's full like it's full like there's nowhere else to go you know what i mean so yes it was it was noticeably like i the first thing i saw i was like holy crap these are tiny they're just so small and in terms of who did you get to see the most of? Like who did you who did you spend the most time following this week? Yeah, i tried to really spread it out right it's because i i wanted to take the opportunity to watch a bunch of different guys so i spent um i there was so it was uh victor justin thomas and god i can't even remember who was the third guy in that group now Finau maybe uh, I don't remember, but that group I, sp- I walked like nine holes with, and that was probably the most I walked with any one hole with any one group. I, you know, three or four holes with, with the Spieth group, uh, three or four holes with Rory's group. Right. I just tried to go see. And then as the championship, like was being decided on the weekend, it was, it was okay. Let's go find this, like this, this Patrick Zalatoris final pair, like, let's go walk with them for a bit. So it, I, I tried to just see, as many different guys as I could up close. Was that as, cause you know, I've heard a bunch of, yeah, I've talked to a bunch of people that, that were there that, you know, my, our buddies at golf digest and, yeah. and stuff. And it, did it feel to you, what was the atmosphere like? Um, because from everything I've heard from the people that went, it felt like a golf tournament with, and I don't know if this is because of, you know, it was just a great finish. You know, we had a great leaderboard. There's obviously this kind of undercurrent of live stuff that is giving a lot of life to golf right now for better or worse. What was the atmosphere like? Did it feel like a tournament with more juice than, than you've been to in a long time? Yeah, for sure. 
it, it was it was it was pretty juicy and it's funny so i walked into the media center and those the golf digest guys right in the row in front of us so i was like this is perfect because now i could just shoot the <laughs> shit with these guys like all week long so that was a lot of fun but um yes so i so basically what ended up happening is um especially on the weekend while it wasn't a lot of people like everyone was with so it also helps when the popular players are the guys in the mix, right? Because if you go to a tournament on Sunday and Roy McElroy is eight shots off the lead, he is still going to have a big group of people following him around. Right. So now that is converging with the fact that he's in the mix. So like those final two or three groups, it's just, and, and everything's so tight in some of the corners of that golf course where like everyone's in the same spot, 26,000 people are in the same spot and you can like hear and feel the roar. So it was, um, I, I think probably just because of how tight it is and the way the leaderboard and the popular players were converging that it felt very, very juiced up. What about the fans too? Like was, you know, we made a lot about these Boston fans. How, how, how was the atmosphere? There? Yeah, they weren't really, they were cheering for guys like Phil, right? No, I did not hear one negative word uttered to any live golf guy. Or anyone for that matter, quite honestly. It was like, yeah. uh, you know, a reminder that what goes on on golf Twitter does not translate. <laughs> Simulate the real to, world. Yeah. Right. To who goes to golf tournaments. I thought, I thought everyone was very, uh, yeah, just generally very positive. And for the most part under, like you still hear stupid stuff in the, um, in the galleries all the time about like who players are and all this stuff. But like, I thought they were pretty knowledgeable because like you could also hit a good shot that doesn't really get rewarded all the time at the country club. I thought, I thought the fans were well-behaved and, and uh, educated. Well, that's what I heard too. I heard on the media side, um, the live stuff was out of control in terms of, of just everyone was talking about it. The rumors were crazy. Um, did, did it feel like that to you? Did it feel like the live stuff dominated the conversation more even so than the championship early in the week. It's all anybody talked about. Yeah. So especially because we started off the week on Monday with Phil's presser, right? right? Like that was like the first thing of the week. And then remember, this is like the first time that everyone in the media has gotten together since we saw a live golf event and others right. have, have left to the tour. So it was, it was just like rampant, speculation of who's going, who's not going, where are your sources, who are my sources? Like it was out of control. Now I will say once the tournament started, that died down a lot. And I think on like Thursday and Friday, the golf course, especially in the media center became a lot of the focus. And then Saturday and Sunday, it was all about Rory and Morikawa and these guys at the top. Like it was the weekend. I did not hear a live thing in the media center. So it was definitely dominating it earlier in the early in the week. And then died down much after that. Did it feel like the players at all? I don't know if you got to talk to any of the individual players, but did it feel like the players, it was on their mind a bunch? Like, do you, do you feel like from what I've heard, like the live guys were kind of on the range interacting just fine with the other guys, right? Yeah, there was no like, Oh, Taylor Gooch, you went to live like you're not my friend anymore. Yeah. Right? Like they definitely uh it was same same stuff, different week for like player on player interaction. And then I mean when you talk to 
again, early in the week when you talk to agents and, and players and like that, like live was very much a topic of conversation, whether that was just because they were being asked about it all the time or whatever. But like, that was the conversation until, until, um, until the championship actually started. Right. I heard, I was listening to Max Homa, uh, his interview on, on knowing a podcast yesterday. And he was talking about how, when, Oh, Matthew Wolf shown some signs of life. Um, he was talking about how when Rom was scheduled for the practice round with Phil, all of the players for that split second of the morning really thought that Rom maybe is gone. He's, you know, he obviously has this relationship with Phil. Um, Phil has been like a mentor to him and they're going out the two of them with Kevin Na, another live guy. And there was kind of this, these whispers between the players on that morning. Oh my gosh, like this could be over. They're going to, they're going to get Rom. And then of course, Rom does now that kind of infamous press conference where he completely denies it and takes like a really kind of admirable hard stance against it. Well, and now every WD has to be like justified by a statement. Yeah which I hate, right? Which is like, guys did withdraw from tournaments on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday last year. And, the year right. before, and every year ever, right? And now it's like, oh no, is Sung Jay going? Has Sung Jay released a statement yet? So it's like, it's, and I, and I will say this, like, no one's reliable, right? Like if you think you have a reliable source, you yes. do not have a reliable source. Like I yes. can promise you that. These players, even even a statement, even like a hard statement in one direction or another has been proven to be rendered meaningless five days later, right? Like no one is reliable in this situation. And we had, so like, you know, there was the rumor early in the week where it was like, oh, you know, two top 16 golfers are going to be going to live uh, next week. And it, I swear every combination of six, of two out of 16 were speculated in the media center and speculated everywhere. It's just like, no one is reliable and we have no idea what's happening. Right. And one of the points that I was making, because a lot, um, a lot came out this week as well about, did you see the Cantlay video where he got asked the question and he just completely stumbled around it? He said, uh, I do not have anything like that. Uh, outstanding <laughs> right, was, right. <laughs> and then did and then xander made a statement too i think he went on cbs right cbs sports radio or something yeah. like that and yeah. and talked about it too and the point that i was making uh with some of these guys that are getting killed for these quote-unquote weaker statements right is at this point i'm not sure what they're supposed to say Right. Like, I think it would be almost unless you're Rory McElroy and the PGA Tour might be named after you in three years. If you're <laughs> a guy like Cantlay or Xander, it feels almost irresponsible to say anything other than, look, I'm here right now. I have no idea what is going to happen. And the reason why I say that is because it feels to me, and I'm curious your take on this it feels to me like players are maybe starting to come to terms with the fact that there's a very distinct possibility that 
uh, Liv might be taking over and many of the best players in the world might be heading there and their ability to influence other players' decision-making process is completely out of their control. So for a guy like Xander and Cantlay, to me, especially with Xander, I feel pretty confident that Xander doesn't want to go to Liv, right? Like I think he wants to stay on the PGA Tour, but... I could also see a situation where Xander looks around and the pool continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And he starts to say, okay, wow, man, like maybe this is kind of escalating and picking up way more momentum. I need to reassess my options once again, because I think things can, things are changing so quickly. So how do you kind of feel about the way that players are answering the questions right now and kind of how quickly this seems to be escalating. I generally think that there's only maybe one guy who is capable of taking a hard stance and it's right. 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 I agree right? with you because the amount of money that has been rumored for Phil 200 million, Dustin Johnson, 125, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, Bryson, hundred million bucks. Rory's made that multiple times over, right? Like his, his Nike deal, which was like $300 million for, I don't know, 10 years. And then he got the perfect timing of them leaving equipment and getting to sign another mega contract with Taylor made and dip double dip plus all everything else he has going on. Like he is probably the only guy who, could take a hard stance on this. Everybody else kind of has to, I don't want to say play both sides, but keep their options open. But it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an awkward situation where uh, like, like if, if Liv and PGA Tour just continue, like they just coexist for the next decade or two, something like that. Right. The guys that went first are going to get the biggest paydays, assuming, and I know the money's unlimited, but like I'm going to assume they're not playing, paying every top 25 player hundred million dollars or two hundred million dollars. Like I just don't think that that's happening. So what happens right. when we get to the point where it's okay? It's Xander. It, Xander looks around. And he's like, okay, well, like, hey, they've got like a pretty good thing. They're offering me like sixty million. Like, well, now like those amounts are going to get smaller, right? Like, right. And if you're the last guy to go, you're not getting anything. Like, you're getting, right. Like, right. There's no there's no leverage there, right? All the leverage is is front loaded. So I I think the next. Like the next like three months, I think are like that. Like that's like the window, I believe. Right, Maybe it's and I smaller mean, than that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And you know, a guy like Taylor Gooch, like he cashed in, right? Like you, you, you got to imagine that. Say a Xander or a Cantlay goes in a couple months, or from what I've heard, there might be a big wave after the Tour Championship, proportionately to what they're worth versus a guy like Taylor Gooch. I don't think they're going to get paid in right. proportion like that the longer they wait. I'm curious to get your take on this because I think we're going to reach a little bit of an inflection point next week here, where if you look at the early John Deerfield, it's really bad. I mean, really bad. And the Portland field has already been announced with three remaining spots for potentially three more pretty darn good players. Like, where do we stand right now as people in our position when a John Deere 
is going head to head with a Portland? Like where are our eyeballs and money? And maybe this is a better question for the viewers, but like, where should we be going in a week from now? If the live field is a lot stronger than the John Deere field, or at least more interesting, right? Like I think if you did the OWGR, like the John Deere field might still be stronger because there's so many bottom feeders. There's so many bottom feeders in the, in the live field. But if you're like, Hey, kind of interested to see what Brooks does kind of interested to see what Bryson and Patrick Reed and Phil do or whatever. Right. Like there might not be as much star power at the top of, uh, the John Deere field, which I think is a problem. Right. And I think, I think, I don't know if live intentionally tried to say, let's go up against their weakest stuff, which you could have guessed it was the, it was the John Deere or something like that, because, um, it's, it's going to be a problem when, it doesn't matter if they're better. It's like, what are people more interested in watching? Right. And, you know, I, und- I listen, I think if Liv went up against the players in their first year, you know, that would be a bit ambitious, right? So I, I understand the scheduling here. Um, I think what I'm trying to figure out as like a content guy and somebody that has a podcast and, I wish this wasn't the case, Rick, but the vast majority of people that turn into my stuff are doing it because of my picks, right? They're doing it to get information. And I still think for me personally, as a golf better and DFS player, I still feel like I'm able to formulate an edge with the John Deere classic. I have data on the course. I have data on the players. I'm going to be able to play DraftKings. So when I put out a podcast with hopefully actionable information, I still feel more comfortable that I'm able to give actionable information to help people make money on a John Deere than a Lev, if that makes sense. I don't know how to formulate an edge in a tournament where I'm super unclear about everyone's motivations. I don't have any strokes gain data. I'm not really sure about the state of game, the state of where all these guys' games are at, right? And so that's kind of do- the dilemma that I'm running into in terms of you know the content I should be putting out around this stuff. Will your opinion change one way or another if DraftKings releases a contest for Live next week? Yeah. I think it would a little bit, right? And I think I want to in this in this scenario I I want to listen to my listeners, right? I want to I want to see where people are at with it. I want to see where interest is. If you know, if people would much rather have me cover live, I would actually prefer to cover the John Deere again because I feel like I it's easier for me to make money in that tournament and formulate an edge and I, I still find, you know, I still find it interesting watching guys like Sahit Tagala and Alex Smalley play golf. Like I, I like those guys and I think some of them might be future stars and I like seeing them in a position to, you know, have their careers take off. But yeah, I think it would change if there's, if there's DraftKings, Rick, like what, what about, what about for you in terms of like your regularly scheduled content, if they put out DraftKings pricing for Portland next week, how does that change your coverage? Uh, I would probably spend five minutes on it at the end of the DFS preview. Yeah. Something like that. Um, where it would just be like, yeah, kind of the same thing. Like, hey, Pumpkin Ridge, 
I don't know anything about it, right? We don't have any, <laughs> we don't have any data, you know, especially because our stuff is so data driven, right? Yeah. Like we don't have any data on that. Also, hey, I've yeah, I've got all these guys in the database, right? Like you can go look up all their stuff. Um, I would probably spend five minutes on it. Now I do wonder. So DraftKings is a official partner of the PGA Tour. I don't know, like what that extends to, right? Like, would they shy away from offering a contest because of this relationship? Would that put that in? Would that put it, the relationship in jeopardy? It might, right? Because I think it's kind of we're kind of in this war right now, where the PGA Tour is saying, "No, we don't want to coexist with you. We are." we are go you are our direct competition so you know we're going to do the bands and all that stuff and our partners are going to be our partners and you know you're going to be able to go over here and and do your own thing right and so if you get into a situation where DraftKings a partner of the PGA Tour like yeah that would almost feel like a conflict of interest right because what that would be doing is it would be turning more attention to what the PGA tour likely sees as its rival for eyeballs and attention and betting handle. Right. For sure. Uh, Michael says DK Sportsbook had live numbers. I did not necessarily see that, but we trust you, Michael. Okay. So it looks like they might be offering numbers. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Caesars is going to have numbers for Portland because they're not technically an official partner, but according to Michael, maybe that doesn't matter. Uh, I don't disagree with Tim here. Tim I don't, says, I don't either, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Tim says live is objectively bad for golf. People with influence like yourself shouldn't be helping pump it up. I, I tend to agree. I completely agree with you, Tim. I mean, I also like, I make a living talking about golf. So I also like, I need to be able to keep my job. So where I stand on it is I want to put it out to my listeners. Right. Like if I'm going to cover the PGA tour until either my numbers start completely dropping or I start getting a ton of complaints. Right. And, you know, for me, I find, I still find the PGA tour more compelling right now. That's where I have the data. That's where my interest lies. But just like all these players, just like these Xanders and these Patrick Cantlays that are saying, look, all I can do is talk about right now because I have no idea what this thing is going to look like in two, three months. I feel the same way. I have no idea what this thing is going to look like in two or three months. Is there a situation where I'm the only PGA tour podcast around and I'm covering the rocket mortgage where, you know, there's this star studded field and live and I have half the amount of people listening because everyone's more interested in live. Like that's, possible right maybe not in the next month but maybe you know in the next couple of years so i to me where i kind of stand is look i'm covering the pga tour for now that's where uh that's where i have data that's where i feel like i have an edge that's where i'm comfortable with but i also like want to be cognizant of the fact that i don't know what's going to happen when Troy Merritt wins the Rocket Mortgage and extends his FedEx Cup points lead, uh, and Andy's the only one around to <laughs> cover it, uh, that'll be that'll be interesting. We'll have to check in on that. Who would be okay? Who's the most realistic guy that could go that would sound the alarm bells for you? Because I still think, and we're getting it's getting hairy, but. All the guys that have gone are the, the usual suspects. 
or guys that are injury prone, might be on the down end of their career. Taylor Gooch to me is the only one that doesn't make any sense. And he just took the money and it's not like he was a top 10 star anyway, or even like a popular guy anyway. So like, right. But that, that one still is kind of bizarre to me, unless he just got paid a ton of money and he's like, screw it. I'll secure the bag here. Who would be like a realist? Like Rory's would be the last guy to go, obviously. Uh, like who realistically would you be like, oh man, this is, this is a thing now. Probably it would probably have to be a Hovland, Morikawa, Zalatoris, Burns, a young guy that is just entering their prime. Hideki is the interesting one to me because Hideki would sound the alarm bells for me big time. I think getting Hideki for Liv would be a huge get just speaking from like an international stage, right? Um, but I don't know if not like Hideki's Hideki's in the middle of his prime right now, but I think if they got a star that was like the younger guys that they got, Rick, the Andy Ogletrees, the James Pyatt's like the last couple winners of the U S amateur, like haven't been that good. They really like, they really haven't. And they went after the really good guy, Pearson Cootie, the Texas guy. And he said, no. Right. So these young guys like a James Pyatt or an Andy Ogletree, they're not stars. They were never going to be stars on the PGA tour. So that doesn't sound the alarm bells for me. That actually makes sense for guys like that to go. It's a Morikawa. It's a Hovland, a Zalatoris, a Burns, a guy under the age of 26 that is entering their prime that I would really, really sound the alarm bells for. What about you? The, all those guys for sure. Um, Hideki's the guy that I thought if if they wanted to actually grow the game, which I'm I don't I don't believe that's the case. But like <laughs> I thought Hideki could be the guy where like they buy the Asian tour, uh, they give Hideki five hundred million dollars. Like they'd have to give him like the global reach of a day like would be insane. You have to give them like $500 million. And then you in 20 years, you might have, and maybe it doesn't take that long, but you'd have every young international, especially Asian golfer striving to get on your tour instead of the PGA tour. Like the, the two decade plan, if you do it correctly, in my opinion, Includes paying a half a billion dollars to Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hideki is like a, he's a walking ATM in Japan. The guys like Tiger Woods. I, I don't even know if from a business standpoint, Hideki should be like their number one target for the doors that it would probably open up with the Japanese market and Japanese investors. I don't even know if Liv is thinking that way. I don't even know if they care about having a sustainable business plan or making well, money. I do wonder where, like, what the conversation between Greg Norman and MBS or like however they chat with one another is, right? Is, right. is Greg Norman just being handed this honeypot and saying, go build the best golf tour that you can? Or is he saying, like, is he getting like word that, like, hey, yeah, we want to do business. We, you know, for example, we would love to do more business in Japan or we would love to have influence in wherever, try to, you know, build it this way. I, I would love to know 
what those conversations look like and what Greg Norman believes his goal is. Right. So I think that they do want to make money. Every organization wants to make money. I just think that they have such a long leash with this stuff that like, there's no way for Lyft to be profitable in the next year. There's Hold no on. avenue for that to happen. No, there is, but it's not profitable through golf, right? Which is what they don't care about. They will never turn a profit in golf like this. Never. Yeah. Never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ever. However, if you spend a billion dollars a year, but you sign a $3 billion contract with someone who came and played in a pro-am with Hideki Matsuyama for right. oil or weapons or whatever, right, right. you made money off of this. Right. Right. And that, I mean, that is part of it too. Like Phil was, Phil was the pro-am partner with, I think the, the CEO, right? Yeah. And like the, right. That, that's the, that's the whole game. They will never make money in golf. They're so far away from being profitable in golf, but they have other ways to monetize this. Right. Do you think that they want to get on TV? Do you think that they want to secure a TV contract? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they will. I think they yeah, will. I don't too. know. I don't know where, but yeah, I think, of, I think of course, right. I mean, they took out, uh, they took out a full page ad on the back page of the New York times this morning, right? Like they're now, yeah. they're now trying to say, look, this is normal. We're, we're in, we're in the mainstream conversation. You can find us on television at, uh, in prime time or whatever it's going to be. Uh, uh, yes, I, I think they want a TV deal and they will get a TV deal. I don't know how, how generous it will be or what network it will be on, but someone it's like, it's just like NFL quarterbacks, right? Like you have this like kind of probably washed up quarterback. You only need one team to take a chance on him right? You only need one team to say, okay, we'll sign him. You only need one network to say, okay, the other, the other 30 networks can hate your guts and never even give you a meeting. All you need is one and they'll find. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I I think a lot of people, I think the misconception is, oh, this, the live product is so much better. Well, keep in mind, right? Like they don't have the PGA tour needs a responsible business plan to exist, right? They need money from TV networks. They need to sign those deals to exist. They need to have those sponsorships where the CEO comes on the telecast on Sunday and talks about his company for a while. Like the only reason why it's hard to compare the live product to that right now is because they don't need to worry about any of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they can stream on YouTube without having any commercials at all. They don't, they don't need to have a responsible business plan to exist. Their business plan right now is let's just light money on fire, right? Like we, they can just, they can do whatever they want. It's not a, it's not really a fair fight, right? If the PGA tour can't get into the PGA tour tries to get into an arms race with live, they're going to lose. There's no way for, for that to happen. Right. So I think it's important to keep in mind that live is kind of playing by different rules than the PGA tour is. So in terms of like, the commercials on the telecast and, and stuff like that. I don't think the PGA tour is really ever going to, they don't have an unlimited war chest like live. I don't think they're ever, 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 ever able going to be able to compete in that same arena. If that makes sense. For sure. But 1 million percent. And you can kind of just see in the, you know, the changes that they've already put in place. It's like, yeah, we can add more money to some prize purses, but like 
the the long term reform that I might be looking for, like that's that's years away to never happening. Right. Just because of every like everything that is currently in place would have to be undone. It does not happen overnight. Right. And I, last question, because I know we're up against it now, but the changes that the PGA Tour did made, like kind of quick fire response. How do you feel about them? Good, bad, medium? Uh, it's like a B plus. I, I think that for what Jay Monahan could do right now, I think he did it right. Increase some purses to get much closer to. Okay. So, you know, now the PGA tour has eight purses that are $20 million or more. Liv has eight that are 25. Like that's okay. That's fine. We're, we're getting right. there. You, you added events, which kind of goes against what we're what we're dealing with here but you still so so you don't you're never going to be able to match especially like the contracts or you know the the guaranteed payments or anything like that but i also don't think you have to if it was like close people would say okay well i'm just much more comfortable on the pga tour they have the built-in tradition they have all this stuff they don't have uh necessarily the moral the moral concerns that this this other golf league does like you just have to kind of get close and the stuff that i want which is like you know, blow the whole thing up and also introduce teams and go to 28 events instead of 48 events and do all this stuff with the other, with like the corn fairy and blah, blah, blah. Like that's like a decade away. Like, and, and yeah. Jay Monahan was never going to be able to do that today. Now, do I think that he screwed up and like, Hey, we should have been planning for this over the last 18 months. Um, and all you did was the pip and whatever else, like huge mistake. But like for the things that he did on Monday or whenever that was, I think that's like the most he could have done in the moment. They also don't have a ton of leverage, Andy. Yeah, they don't. And I mean, to, to me, it feels like they're just kind of going back a little bit to the WGC model, which to me, I feel like didn't work. Um, right. And in, in terms of these smaller field events for more money. Um, but I agree with you in the sense that he doesn't really have a lot of, cards to play right now right. right and like a lot of people are saying like oh isn't it convenient that the pga tour just found all this money why didn't they do it sooner well it doesn't actually really work like that they have a specific reserve fund that kind of got decimated during covid and they're really not supposed to use it all yes did it take an external threat for them to go to that reserve fund earlier than maybe they thought but like this was always when what it was going to have to be for the PGA tour. And it's not like they've already paid out this money. They're going to go sell sponsors, sponsors right. on these new tour, on these new events. They're going to go sell, like they're going to make, they're going to have to make up this money somewhere. It's not like Jay Monahan went down to the vault and pulled out $50 million or a hundred million dollars right. in cash. Like they're going to make this up somewhere. They just have basically said, we, we believe we'll be able, like, we'll, we'll, We'll we'll be able to do this, right? Like we that's need our to plan. front load it. Yeah, right. we need to we need to take these measures now because we don't feel like we have a choice. Um, yeah, I, I honestly I'm fascinated. It, it it is the type of conversation that probably deserves a, a much deeper dive and and longer introspection. So I'm sure we'll we, we will yes. continue to continue this discussion as the uh, weeks go on. And as we, yeah, and as we've seen, everything changes every two days. So we will right. uh, continue to pursue this as 
Always. Okay. Andy, always a good time. That hour flew by. So just to recap everybody, uh, the prize picks code you're looking for, it's Rick. There's a link in the description. It'll get you hundred percent instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. Andy lack is available on Twitter at ADP lack sports. You can find me at Rick run. Good. This has been your Friday scramble. Good luck.